welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Morning, King's Church. Lord, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you're for this, this window of time, uh, even in the United States in 2019, people think about you and your gift to the world. And God, let us be representatives of your good gift, of how unbelievable it is, how world-changing and shifting the gift of your birth into this world was, that you stripped yourself of your divinity took on humanity and weakness and humility to come and abide with us and show us what it meant to be what we're meant to be we love you lord amen why don't you stand with me church we're going to do uh we're going to share continue our proverbs chapter three and um all share together or all all say out loud as is our custom um from our portion of scripture this morning and starting in verse 17 everybody with me her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her and those who hold fast are called blessed the lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens by his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds drop down the dew. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and powerful and alive, that it's still active today, that it's still living today, that it still does its work today. So we ask that you would plant it into the depths of our heart, Lord, to produce a fruit of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen, have a seat. Can we give Jameson a hand for banging those keys out today and wearing that great Christmas jacket? good Christmas color. I like long Christmas jackets. A little bit. I, um, Bethany had me go get a tree. This is our first New York City tree experience because we usually would just go to Home Depot or actually we'd go out and cut down a tree and put it on top of our car. This is our first tree experience. And so I walked six or seven blocks to the tree lot and I got this humongous tree. You can't put it in a taxi cab, right? So that means I have to carry it on my shoulder back the six or seven blocks to our apartment. And it was very heavy and the boys were with me and they are not fast walkers. <laughs> and I pierced my jacket with the tree, my favorite Christmas jacket. And then once I finally got it set up, the tree is like, it's like the leaning tower of Treza. Uh, it's in my living room. And we spent an hour on Saturday morning trying to straighten it. And every, literally, every time, a few minutes later, it would just be like, Meh. It's like, tree, why do you hate me so much? And I did all the tricks. I YouTube how to straighten the tree out in the stand, and nothing worked. Um, but you know what? We love to celebrate things that remind people of Jesus and his greatness and his gift to the world. So happy to have a, a leaning and bent tree. Well, not that happy, but... <laughs> deal with it for Christmas. My, my wife is very happy about it. All right, so I want to share with you guys something a little bit personal before I jump into the message. Um, it, 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 it interweaves in my message a little bit, but I was in the Daily News this week with a case 
Um, my case is against New York City, New York State, and the Washington Post. Um, on Monday, it was released in print, and I'm representing a gentleman. I'll tell you the story. A pastor friend of mine from, from town called me up today, uh, this, a, few, a couple of months ago, and he said, Hey, David, um, I have an ex-convict that's a founding member of my church. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to start a church. Uh, and he's like, and he, he missed his curfew violation, and he went to prison uh, for about 90 days until the judge figures out what they're going to do with him, and then they release him after about 90 days of saying, you're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to miss your curfew. Well, while he was in prison, this story came out that said he wasn't in jail for curfew violation, but that he was in, in jail for having murdered or raped someone again, now 40 years after his initial crime. Um, and my friend said, can you represent this person? Um, can help my church get its name back and all of these kinds of things. And I remember first, the initial first thought is like, Man, do I want to do I run on rent? Do I want to represent an ex-convict that has this horrible past? And uh, I was immediately reminded of this uh, as I was talking to this my pastor friend who pastors a small Baptist church in Midtown. I was immediately reminded of this time that I was in college, and um, in 2000, I think three it was, and I was sitting in a class, and the professor asked all the students. He was going around the class, and he was saying, "If somebody committed a heinous act, would you forgive them?" And it was like the heinous act was against you or somebody in your family. And it was, he was trying to do some kind of social experiment about how we don't forgive people. He was going around the room and um, he got to me and he said, David, would you forgive the person? And I said, absolutely. And I was the only person that said in the class that I would forgive this person. And he said, why would you forgive him? And I said, because I too am a committer of heinous acts. He said, uh, so uh, just remind me of that thing like, why would you represent an ex-convict? Because I, too, am an ex-convict. Now, I'm not literally an ex-convict, but if I, if, my, if I was raised in the right environment and I had the right experience, I would, I promise you, be convicted of many of a heinous crime. Because this is how sin works. It corrupts our nature, right? And in certain environments, we choose, it's easier to choose to do heinous acts. And this guy came through, you know, 30 years later, ended up meeting Jesus, having his life transformed, was forgiven by God, and helped start my friend's church, spends his life rep, like working at food pantries and food banks around the city. And I thought, what an amazing story of the redemption of Jesus. And if I can't represent an ex-convict, then how can Jesus represent me before the Father? Because sometimes, and many times, oftentimes, we, are all, we all stand as ex-convicts without the cross without the unbelievable gift of Jesus that forgives us for all of our sins, that pardons all of our iniquities. I was reading in Isaiah earlier this morning, and uh, the promise is that all of our sins would be dissipated as a mist, disappear into nothingness before God because of the work of Jesus. Isaiah 40, 41, I think. So that's the story, and you'll, it, it was in the paper and online this week, and I imagine it will be in the paper and online um, for the next couple of years, on and off a little bit, and I wanted you to hear it from the horse's mouth that I'm honored to be able to represent this guy. I think it's a just and worthy cause, and I'm, and I'm blessed that God would give me the opportunity to represent an ex-convict such as myself in this, um, in this proceeding. Is that okay? Okay. Okay, so here we go. We're in Proverbs. Why are we in Proverbs? 
I talked about this. We're in Proverbs because we went through this series with Abraham, and Abraham was about leaving the known and the secure and the prepared and the stable and the historically sound and going off on this journey to follow God into the unknown, into this faith walk where you're not sure exactly what's going to work out, and then becoming all that God has for you. And then so we spent a year talking about that journey, and then this year we said, okay, now we want to talk about the practical steps of how to walk out the journey of faith. And one of the most practical books in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. It's mostly all practical stuff throughout, and that's why we're here and First Chronicles, excuse me, Second Chronicles 7.11 has this verse that we love, and it says, And all the things in Solomon's heart for the house of the Lord and for his own house came to pass. And we believe that God has inspired, whispered into your heart things that he wants to come to pass. And this is one of the ways that if we are following the way of God, replicating his plan, his method, his purpose in our life, this is how we get things to come to pass by following his way. Amen? Okay, so first verse here that we're in today, 317. Her ways are pleasant. All her paths are peace. And so we've been doing this scripture by scripture thing, and as soon as you get to something like this, you say, okay, what does that mean for us as people of faith? Well, the basic simple idea is that when we're following wisdom, when we're walking in wisdom, there's a generic pleasantness that comes. If you're not cheating and stealing and robbing and stabbing, life goes better for you. Can I get an amen, right? That's a pretty basic one. But then it says all of her paths are peace. All of the paths of wisdom that we walk are peaceful ones. And then the question arises, if you're a questioning kind of person, I'm a questioning kind of person, well then, Lord, how come so often in my life there's not peace there? If wisdom is the path of peace at all times, why don't I always walk in peace? And so I want to tease that idea out a little with you today um, in Romans chapter 8. I accidentally typed in Bromans, like Bromans. I thought it was pretty good, Bromans. I'm sure there's a millennial pastor that said that before me with tighter pants than I, Romans chapter 8. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For all her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is a very famous portion of Scripture. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most beautiful, complex, and profound portions that we have in the entire New Testament. And it's talking about this new life in Christ Jesus. And it says there are two kinds of ways that we live as believers in the new covenant or this new way. Some of us live this way and some of us live that way. And here's the first way. Life, the way you live in an accordance, which is 
surrounded by the way you act. And then so one side is about living and active, acting. The other side is about the mind being set up in a certain place. So these are the two pictures that we're seeing in this set of verses, that you're living away and acting away in certain accordance. And then the other one is related to that. If you're doing that, your mind is set in a certain kind of way. And remember, we're talking about how to live in peace because all of her ways are peace. So we did this a couple of months ago where I talked about what a chord is. And a chord is a set of three notes. Uh, the scripture says a three-strand chord is not easily broken. And a chord in music is a set of three notes. And it's incredible if you have these three sets of notes that if one of the chords, if one of the notes in the chord is off by a step or a half a step, how differently that sounds. And we can be in our life, living our life in a certain pattern and be in accordance with the things of the flesh or be in accordance with the things of the spirit. So say we have a major chord here, like the key, of, like, like the C, C major chord, you have uh, C, E, and G, and that's a major chord, right? So just one note makes it sound major. If you decide to take one of those single notes and take it out of accordance, it sounds instead of this, happy, 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 times, 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 it sounds, it sounds like this, which is only one single note that changes the construct of the entire way of hearing that. So imagine that Jesus wants you to live like this. <laughs> when we live in accordance with the flesh, when one of the notes of the chord are out of construct, we end up living in this way. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is saying that when we're called into this new life in Christ, we're called to live wrapped up like that three-note chord, wrapped up in the Spirit. We're called to be in accordance with the spirit, but oftentimes we live in accordance with the flesh. You're like, okay, David, that's a fun little tune. What does that mean specifically? Well, it says this, those who live or act in accordance with the flesh set their mind on the same things of the flesh. This is what it's like to live in accordance, acting in accordance with the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. 19. Now, the acts of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, let's define what that is. Sexual immorality is any sexual act outside of the bounds of a husband and wife in covenant relationship forever together. Any acts outside of that, okay? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, all of those things are ways of acting and living. If you're acting and living that way, you're in accordance. Your life is wrapped up with this way of the flesh. And that way is the flesh leads to death. Uh, the writer of Galatians says, and I warn you, as I warned those before, that those who do such things or practice will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a really important scripture because it shows us that when people are living, acting, their actual actions are living in accordance with this other way, this way of the flesh, they're wrapped up in this way of the flesh. The book of Galatians, God's word says, those people don't inherit the kingdom of God. Independent of how many prayers you pray or how sincerely you believe you believe, when you're living this way, it's showing that something's happening. That one, you're living in accordance, and two, that your mind is set on the things of the flesh. Now, 
What is, the, what is the converse? Galatians tells us what the converse is too. It says in 522, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified all of that other accordance, all those other gross things. They've crucified that and put it on the cross. And they're living in this new way. They're wrapping their life. Their life actions are wrapped up in God's way. Life in the spirit. Now here's this other thing. And this is this really exciting thing to me. It says um, that the other is life in action. The other is mind that is set. And this word, mind that is set, is a single Greek word that means to think or to judge. It means to think or to judge according to a different set of paradigm, a different set of laws than God's laws. And so it says this, the mind that is set, uh, the mind that is, excuse me, um, they, those who live this way, they've set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds, they're judging the world, they're thinking about the world in the way the spirit of God thinks about the world or judges the world. Verse 7, for the mind that is set, this word is judging or think about, thinking about, the mind that is judging or thinking about the world, this is really fun, sorry, if you don't think this is fun, I'm really, really excited, I'm trying to hold back my excitement. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God because it cannot submit itself to the way of God. So, you have this word that means to to judge, to, to govern. You have verse seven that it says it doesn't submit itself or it's not governed by God's law. So there's this concept about judging, about submitting to, about living in a way that produces death and living in a way that produces life. And it says this, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that is founded or rooted in Christ and the spirit automatically produces this life of peace. Uh, this is a really wild thing. It says, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That verb is used one other place, well, maybe more than one, but specifically one other place in the scripture in Matthew chapter 13, where Peter has set his mind on the things of the flesh. Now, this is a really wild passage of scripture because Jesus says to Peter, hey, you're doing really great, Peter. I'm proud of you. You're saying great things, and I'm going to establish my whole kingdom upon your life. Upon this rock, I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then Jesus starts to explain what's going to go down next. Many of you know the story. He says, I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to, be, I'm going to go away. Things are going to get a little wacky. And Peter says, Lord, it's not going to happen this way. Let it never be. And Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, because your mind is set. This is the same word that's used here in Romans chapter 8. Your mind is set on the way of the flesh or things of the flesh. He says you're, you th you're, you're living and following Jesus. Literally, <laughs> he's your boss, 
Then he tells you what to do or what's going to happen next. And then you're like, sorry, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because your mind is set in this same way that your mind is resting on the things of the flesh. But we said it's this word. It's judging in accordance with an old pattern. So practically, what does that mean? Practically, Peter was saying, okay, you're, you're saying there's a big kingdom that's going to be set up on me? I like that. That sounds like a great idea. But then you're saying in the next breath that you're going to be out of here. So it sounds like the kingdom thing may not actually work out in my favor. Uh, so no, you're, you stay. Uh, I, I tell you what to do. So Peter swaps his position as follower as God's law is the way, as submitting his life to God's system and design to saying, no, God, I'm going to tell you how it's going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to dictate, I'm going to be the judge and tell you how I think the world should be. And so your word, your way, your directive is no longer, I'm no longer coming under and submitting and subjecting myself to, but I have flipped upside down this way and now I am ruling, I am judging, I am controlling my own life and the world around me. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That is the way of Satan. And so I was reading this in Romans 13, 20, uh, this, all of her paths are peace. I'm thinking about the next verse that it's setting up, which is, wisdom is a tree of life. And Jesus is actually the tree of life. And so what does it mean to have all of our paths be peace? Because I don't think it means that we have peace in our life at all times, and there's never any stress, and there's never any chaos. I think it actually means that we fundamentally are at peace with God when we're living in the spirit according to the spirit in God's way in accordance with the new covenant instead of wrapped up in the minor key of the old way that I'm judging that I'm ruling that my way that how I dictate the world should be is in control instead I live in this new way of the spirit where my reliance is on Christ my life is in Christ I'm wrapped up and intertwined the activity of my life is with him but also all all my system of judging and ruling and controlling is submitted to his way. That my mind is actually set in this new way and independent of the experiences around me, I'm fundamentally living in paths of peace before God and the Father because I was an ex-convict and I've been forgiven. Because I was guilty at every corner and God has set me free and set me on paths of peace before the Father. We, um, I keep having people say to me, because my, uh, this is public, it's in the newspaper this week, all of my client's stuff um, got all thrown out in the dumpster when he was in jail. Now, it's not normally supposed to happen that way, but they thought he was going to back to prison for the rest of his life when they read this story, so they threw out everything he owned. So seven years of trying to build his life back together, everything got tossed, and he, had to, he came out with literally the shirt on his back and not a dollar to his name. And he said to me, you know, David, I don't know what anyone would do without people like you and Pastor Andy and, uh, to help get out of here because we literally would have to be sleeping on the streets. I have, you have nothing for um, his pastor. Andy um, is an awesome guy and their church family took care of him. But I was talking to some people in my office and they kept saying, David, how, how is, he? is he? Is he super angry? Is he super frustrated at his circumstances? 
And I said, um, we were talking, and he said, we were in this interview with the Daily News reporter, and the Daily News reporter was saying the same question, how angry are you about what happened to you? And he said, I have this baseline that I should be in jail for the rest of my life because of what I've done, and that I get to step outside, nothing really matters. My life is amazing because I have another shot at life. And I was thinking about us as believers, like we, we forget the fundamental basis of being forgiven of our sins. That when someone asks us how our life is, we're like, oh man, this job thing didn't work out, or oh, this relationship thing is frustrated, I'm not married soon enough, or whatever, and I'm talking to this guy, my client now, and they say, you've had horrible things just happen to you over the course of the last three months. How mad at you are you? And he said, I just can't be mad because I've got another chance that I can walk down the street and I can buy a cheeseburger and go see a movie and have freedom, that that's even possible for someone who did something as horrible as I've done, I can't even be mad. And I remember just thinking, that's how we should be as believers. All of our paths are peace. It's, they're not all peace because it doesn't all go right all the time. You're driving down the, ro- the road, you're gonna hit the red lights. Right, you're gonna get stopped up. Things are going to happen that's frustrating. That's how it goes. But your path is a path of peace because you've been forgiven, you've been restored. You're at peace with God the Father. When he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees a son who he loves. He sees a daughter who's been redeemed and restored. He doesn't see the stupid thing that you've just dealt with. He doesn't see the thing that you're struggling with, you're trying to get out of. He sees you beautiful and whole and restored, and you can walk through this life on paths of fundamental peace between you and God the Father. Because it says that all of her paths are peace. Not that every single situation in our life works out perfectly, because it doesn't sometimes, right? And I don't want to trivialize it and talk about my Christmas tree anymore, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Sometimes real pain and real brutality and horrible things actually happen in our life. But a mind set on the spirit, a mind that knows that I'm a son or a daughter that's redeemed, and my eternal hope is set and secure forever and ever and ever, that, does, that, should, that should change our paths in this world. That should change the fundamental position between us and everything around us. How bad are, is everything going? Like everything can be going really bad and I can, should still be able to say, but I'm forgiven, yeah. but I'm whole, but I'm at peace with God the Father. He's not counted my sins against me. And there are plenty he could have counted against me or should have, right? But Jesus has taken that upon himself, amen? Okay, so this next verse is, um, continues this, this set of thinking, which is the tree verse. Proverbs 3, verses, verse um, 18. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and those who hold her fast will be blessed. So this setup, the peace setup, as Jesus fundamentally giving us our peace and being our peace then leads to this next 
verse, which I think is a prophetic verse. Who is a tree of life? Jesus is the tree of life. And all who take hold of him, their lives are walking in blessing. And this is the crazy thing because, again, the, the analogy is to this way of thinking and judging and believing, right? There are two trees in the garden, Genesis chapter 2. Let's read it real quick. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Romans says when we act, when we set our minds on a certain thing, when we live in accordance with this old way, it leads to death. It's the same thing that God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So when we're living in this way where we're judging the world according to eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what is that? When you eat a fruit that is the knowledge of good and evil, I've just consumed good and evil, what now can I do? I can now distinguish between good and evil. So this is the same picture here that there's a tree of life that we're called to take hold of and it changes our mindset, our way of judging and thinking. So Romans chapter eight, Paul is talking about people that live in accordance with the way of the flesh. They're people that are eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That are people that are living in accordance with the spirit. They're relying on, they're leaning on Jesus. Let me show you this word. It's this Greek word. Um, but those, excuse me, this Hebrew word. But those who take hold of her, those who fasten upon, the Hebrew word that I'm not going to try to pronounce is that you fasten yourself onto this tree. And I can see this picture of grabbing hold of the cross and being fastened onto the tree that I'm crucified with Christ and it's not I who live but he who lives through me, that the life I live is not my own but it's Jesus' life that lives through me because I fastened myself to that tree. In the next verse it says, and those who hold fast to her are blessed. So the tree of life, we fasten ourselves, we come to Jesus, we get this internal transformation and change that happens. And then the next verse that says, and blessing comes as you hold fast, continually holding on to that tree. You know, in Matthew um, chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus, he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, tiny, smaller than every other seed around. You plant it in the garden, and then that seed grows and grows bigger than all of the plants in the garden, even so big that the birds of the air come and make their nest in this tree that brings life. And sometimes when we're living this Christian life, we look at the acts out of accordance and the acts that are in accordance and we can look at them and say, oh God, well, that one I'm still doing and that one I'm still doing and that one, well, maybe I stopped doing that one. And then you look at the list of all of the good stuff that you're supposed to be doing and you're like, ugh, <laughs> being nice all the time. The kingdom of heaven is like this seed that's planted and the scripture says that at first you cling 
And then the process is to hold on, to hold true. And that as you do that, that seed begins to germinate and grow on the inside of you. And it doesn't come as a full-grown tree. When you come to Jesus, it's not like he takes an oak tree and then just goes back and slap it in your heart and all of your problems are gone instantaneously. That's not how it works. That's not how trees grow. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that you allow it to be planted into the soil of your heart and let it be watered and you cultivate it and you hold on to it and you hold fast to it when it doesn't seem like it's breaking through. It's working under the soil, right? Even if when I can't see that you're working, you're germinating, you're moving, you're breaking through the seed, and that at some point, that tree takes off and becomes bigger than every plant in the garden of your heart and rules and governs all of the other offspring of your heart. And that's what Romans 8 is talking about. It's talking about live life in accordance with the Spirit. Eat of the tree of life that all of your ways would be pleasant and all of your paths would be peace. Amen? Amen. Worship team, why don't you come on up? And um, I am, I, I, I've been saying, Jesus, can you show up to me in the Proverbs? I know it's really practical. We've been talking about things like don't steal and um, remember and all of these kind of practical ways of living. And I opened up the scripture last night when I was studying, and as soon as I saw this, she is a tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. It reminded me of the verse in 1 Corinthians that says, Christ is the wisdom of God. And so Jesus is our wisdom. He is our tree of life. And eating of him brings us life and wholeness. Friend, independent of what you're struggling with or what that little tree doesn't seem like it's governing on the top of, hold fast to, cling to the goodness of Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.